What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 11 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Since the last time we talked, there have been trade rumors flying throughout NBA circles. De'Aaron Fox, John Combs, Chris Porzingis, the usual guys like Ben Simmons and Buddy Heald, they're all flying through the rumors. Teams are looking to make some moves, and with the February 10th trade deadline approaching faster than we think, a lot of these guys are going to start to maybe hit the market and hopefully make some swings, since it's always fun to talk about. Uh, the first official trade has been made, though. The New York Knicks pick up Cam Reddish, 22-year-old, six foot eight wing, former top 10 pick, um, for pretty cheap. Uh, the official deal is Cam Reddish, Solomon Hill, and a late second-round pick that is protected. Going to New York and heading back to Atlanta, we have a top 18 protected first, as well as Kevin Knox. Uh, this one took me by surprise because I know that the Hawks are in a little bit of salary cap crunch and they have to make some decisions. It looks like they're prioritizing guys like Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter over Cam Reddish. And for me, I don't necessarily think that's the best move. I'm super high on Cam Reddish's game. I love the way he plays. I think he's uberly athletic. And if you can give him the space and the time to grow, I think that at 6'8", with the ball handling that he has, the shooting that he has, and now you're putting him in a familiar situation playing with R.J. Barrett again. And the Knicks just got a whole hell of a lot younger in their main core. They can throw out a potential lineup of Emmanuel Quickly, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. That is a young core that should excite a lot of Knicks fans, going from Taj Gibson, Nerlens Noel, Derrick Rose, and Alec Burks. That's huge. Then you incorporate some guys like Miles McBride. You have... Like, just Quentin Grimes, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a Knicks fan. Unfortunately, after the expectations from last year, being a top four seed, you know, you guys thought you were going to pick it up. I think last year was a little bit more of a Cinderella story. I think this is definitely the core of the team, and the expectation makes a lot more sense. There's a lot to build off. I'm not necessarily sure that Thibodeau is the coach to do that. I think Tim's is a lot more of a win-now coach. You saw that with his time in Chicago. You saw what he was what he was able to do with the Bulls, as well as you know what he was able to do last year with this Knicks team and you know turning them into a top-five defense. I think this team is ready for a development stage, and I think that having a goal and having a a you know, plan, you're not rudderless, is huge. And the Knicks are clearly going more for a youth movement. They're biding their time, they're moving their guys to the bench, like guys like Derrick Rose, Taj Gibson, and Alec Burks is going to eventually make his way once Cam Reddish is here healthy, and the Knicks are going for a full youth movement. Uh, I don't want to say this is a top five young core in the league, but with Julius Randle being the only player over 23 in that projected starting lineup, there's a lot to be excited about, and one thing that we're going to talk about later in the show is that we're really going to feature three teams that are just completely rudderless. The worst place that you can be is what I call NBA purgatory. You know, if you're not going to tank or if you're not going to fight for a championship, you're just in the middle, you know, fighting for that playing spot, fighting for that eighth seed. It's the worst place to be because you're not shitty enough in order to get a top three pick, but you're not fighting for an NBA championship. You're just constantly in this middle ground and you're just not where you want to be. And later on, you're going to be featuring teams like New Orleans, featuring teams like Sacramento that are just don't have a plan, don't know where they're going don't necessarily know a decision and their front offices are going to have to come up with answers fast because this trade deadline is going to come and go and these teams are going to be looking around and saying, did we make the right call? Did we make the right move? And we're going to get into that. NBA purgatory is a dark, dark place. It comes to a point where you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, what the actual fuck are we doing? It comes to a point where you look at teams like Sacramento, you look at teams like New Orleans, as well as the Oklahoma City Thunder and say, 
I have no idea where they're trying to go and what they're trying to do. They're mixing in veterans, they're mixing in young players, and they are just kind of in this middle of not too bad, not too good. Starting off with the Sacramento Kings, Sacramento Kings are 17-27. and 27. That's good for 11th in the West. Sacramento Kings are desperate. They currently have the longest playoff drought in the NBA with more than 10 years of not making the playoffs. They are desperate. This city is absolutely desperate to make the playoffs. The Sacramento Kings were one of the coolest teams back in the 2000s, rolling out Mike Bibby, Peja Stajakovic, Chris Webber, Vladi Divac, Doug Christie, the six-man OG Bobby Jackson. This team was so cool to watch and so dope. That arena was filled. There were Western Conference Finals battling the Showtime Lakers of the early 2000s of Shaq and Kobe and taking them to Game 6s and Game 7s. What the actual fuck happened to this team? New ownership groups, new front offices, and just not being able to pick a direction. And here we are, 10 years later. The biggest thing that's been wrong with Sacramento Kings is that they have missed on draft picks over and over and over again since 2012. We're talking 10 years of just missed draft picks. The biggest ones to come to date. You're constantly picking in the top 10 because you're, that's just where you are. You've constantly been a bad team. You've constantly been a lottery team. You look at guys... Top five, Thomas Robinson. Then the next year, Ben McLemore, miss. The next year, Nick Stauskas, mix. The next year, you have a all-pro center in DeMarcus Cousins. So what do you do? You go out and you draft Willie Cauley-Stein. Okay, great. Just directionless after directionless. They finally draft De'Aaron Fox, who looked like a star. He, at his career peak, averaged 24 points, averaged over eight assists, Looks like a mini John Wall clone. He's still only 24. He has so much potential in him. Not really having the greatest year. This year he's come back to earth, but Tyrese Halliburton has grown up. Then you bring in guys like Marvin Bagley, who will unfortunately be always looked at as, well, you could have had Luka Doncic. And it's always so hard because hindsight's 2020. But fuck, that is a very, very large miss. When you draft Marvin Bagley, who was completely exiled to the bench by Luke Walden, whether the right decision or the wrong decision, when you are entering your fourth year as the number two overall pick, and you can barely crack the rotation, not looking good. Decisions have to be made, and this guy doesn't even look like a future rotation spot for this team. They got an offer for two second-round picks, and they didn't take it. There's a lot of confusion in this team, but you're just constantly missing on draft picks over and over. And their most recent runs were Tyrese Halliburton, who, again, looks tremendous being able to run point guard and kind of has moved De'Aaron Fox off the ball. But you have that starting backcourt. So what do they do? They go and draft another point guard, Davion Mitchell, to change the culture of this team. If you're drafting a 23-year-old rookie to change the culture of the team, I got some bad news. The team culture is absolute shit, and a 23-year-old is not going to do anything about that. You got a lot more problems than just defense and hard work. You're running out the same lineup over and over. It's the same expectations. You're running guys like Rishon Holmes, who, again, is a great analytical player. I really like Harrison Barnes, but like Mo Harkless isn't going to move the needle. Like Running these three-guard lineups of De'Aaron Fox... Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton, sprinkling Buddy Heald into that. Like, your defense is atrocious. You don't have a shot blocker. Marvin Bagley doesn't play defense. He's a poor man's Amari Stoudemire who can't score the ball. It's just the Kings are here in the middle, yet they're 17-27. and 27. They're 11th in the West. They're currently in the 8th spot for the worst record in the league. So, like, what are you going to get being in that spot? You know, maybe making a play-in, maybe being toward the 
Like, like I don't understand. Like, are you that desperate for an eight seed to get absolutely washed by either the Warriors or the Suns? Like, what does that get you? Selling three playoff tickets, you know, potentially hoping for a game five or a game six to, you know, bring fans in. No one's going to want to see that. It just puts you in a worse spot. You look at teams like the Orlando Magic that were constantly fighting for the eight seed or the seven seed and just not being any good to the point that they finally said, F this, and tore it all down. They need to tear it all down. De'Aaron Fox has finally come out in some big, big time trade rumors as saying, okay, maybe this isn't working out. He signed that max contract. Something's got to give. They are rumored and linked heavy to Ben Simmons. I think that if they go and get Ben Simmons, I think that puts them in the perfect category of at least finding a direction and saying, hey, we want to fix our defense. He is what he is. Ben Simmons needs a very particular team around him. But I think bringing him in, pairing him with a guy like Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, that's shooting, that's playmaking. And you bring in a center like a Rishon Holmes, you move off a Marvin Bagley, you aren't really still going to be a playoff team. That team's not going to move the needle in any way, shape, or form. But at least you're picking a direction. You're building around this star player who can at least change the defense, who can play a two-way game, he can play playmaking, and that at least gives Tyrese Halliburton the ability to grow and be this alpha guy that he can be at this six foot four, six foot five, who's a tremendous forty three percent three point shooter. That's a direction. A direction that needs to go somewhere. And if you're not going to go after Ben, well what's the decision? Because clearly De'Aaron Fox isn't the answer. And if you're going to choose De'Aaron Fox, well then that means you have to move off Tyrese Halliburton, sell while the iron's hot. Davion Fox was supposed to be NBA ready, does not look remotely close to NBA ready on the offensive game, yeah, he's great defensively, but again, he's 23 years old, coming in as a rookie, will be 24 in the spring, not looking great. The Kings have just had way too many misses, and they can't afford to continue to do this, because when you are 10 years missing the playoffs, every year that goes by, their added pressure gets on and on and on, and it just gets worse. Pick a position and stick to it. You're going to trade your guys, Harrison Barnes is going to go. De'Aaron Fox needs to go. And if you want to trade Buddy Heald like you should have traded this offseason to the Lakers, and I understand they backed out and they chose Russell Westbrook, that's for a different day. Play your cards that you're dealt. You have your guards. Pick one. Pick Tyrese or pick De'Aaron and trade the other. Get some wings and get a center that you can build behind. Cut your losses on Marvin Bagley and just go. Go with a route. Go with a decision. And then tank for the draft class because you are not going anywhere in the play-in. It doesn't make sense. I like the Kings. I really like De'Aaron Fox. And I think that if he's in a situation, I would love, love to see De'Aaron Fox in Philly because I think a backcourt of him and Maxi to where De'Aaron Fox can just run in space. He doesn't have to have all his pressure as being this number two guy or number one guy. Maxi has stepped up in that route and they can feed off each other. You have a Tobias Harris in there and then obviously Joel Embiid. He would be so so good in that offense and being able to spread the floor and attack and give Joel Embiid some pressure relief, that would be an incredible opportunity. I don't think it's going to happen, but from a fan perspective, that's an overall dream of watching a De'Aaron Fox and Joel Embiid pick and roll. That'd be so fucking dope. There needs to be a decision, and I'm hoping that the Kings come to their senses and make it soon because, like I said, that trade deadline is approaching, and it's approaching fast. The city of New Orleans deserves so much better than they have. They've had superstars like Chris Paul, Baron Davis, Anthony Davis, and now Zion Williamson. And it looks like the way that this team is being built and this team is being run, Zion Williamson will be out the door before we know it.
Hell, if I'm Brandon Ingram, I'm calling my agent and saying, get me the hell out of New Orleans. New Orleans have no idea what they're doing. They are 16 and 26. They are good for 12th in the West and somehow behind the Sacramento Kings, which I don't know how that makes sense. Zion Williamson has not played in a single game this entire year after being completely led on in the offseason to think that he was going to be ready to play in the regular season. There is looking like he may not play at all. He's currently in Portland rehabbing his foot and he will be reevaluated in anywhere from two to four weeks. That is atrocious for your star who is in his third season, who's extension eligible after this season, who you have to give him the max. You can't draft this guy. Injury history, no injury history. You have to give him the max. You can incentivize it all you want. What is New Orleans going to do? There are some decisions that were made, like drafting Jackson Hayes 10th overall. That hasn't worked out. He has some slight upside. He's looked good athletically to a certain extent. When you have guys like Steve Adams in front of him, when you had guys like now Jonas Valanciunas in front of him, you're not giving him a position to succeed or grow or play 25, 30 minutes a game. It's just not happening. You let Lonzo Ball go, who was one of the massive haul that you got for Anthony Davis. He's gone. Julius Randle, you didn't pick him. He's gone. You have Brandon Ingram. Yeah, you signed him to the nice extension. He made an all-star team. He looks like probably the only lone spot from this team. And if I'm picking anybody to build around, I'm building around Brandon Ingram. When he plays, he's so smooth. He's an absolute hooper. He plays like a small point forward to a certain extent. He looks great. He can score on anybody. He's proven that he doesn't need to be this 230, 240-pound guy. He can just score the ball. And I love the way that he plays. And at least with him, this is the first time he's really been injured in a very long time. He can go out there and carry a team to a certain extent. Now, granted, this team is not good, and obviously he needs more help around him. But if Zion's not going to be healthy, what's the plan? Because right now you're sitting here 12th in the West. You're too good for the bottom. You're not hitting the lottery. You're not being that number one overall pick or number three overall pick territory. And you let a guy like Alonzo Ball walk and you bring Devontae Graham and sign him to a four-year deal, thinking that he is a you know this perfect fit to play with Zion Williamson, this three-point marksman. He looks atrocious. You're not putting him in a position to make plays. And a guy that has once averaged a career high of eight assists, he's barely averaging over four. He has a almost a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. He is a very inefficient shooter, as he always has been, but he's always been a decent three-point shooter. He's shooting 34% from three. He's just, and he's a complete liability on defense. He's a Trey Young-type defender and just brings next to nothing on the table on that end. I don't understand why that was an option. You have a guy like Jonas Valanciunas who, yeah, he's playing great right now. What the hell is he going to look like when he's playing in the same exact area as Zion Williamson? Yes, Jonas has hit over 40% from three this year. He's shooting less than two and a half, so I get that it's like kind of cool to encourage. Like I understand it, but for 30 plus minutes a game, like are Zion and Jonas going to be able to, you know, play in the same realm? My answer is no. It's the same exact thing, like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Like there's a reason that that hasn't worked for years on, and just because you know Jonas occasionally stretches the floor and shoots a three, just like for Joel Embiid, occasionally stretches the floor and shoots a three. At some point, you're going to have to pick. Jonas or Zion, and obviously you're going to choose Zion because he's your superstar. He's the guy that's supposed to lead you to the promised land, and whether there's been rumblings whether he wants to be here or not, you know, you're going to be able to sign him to an extension, and you're going to be able to keep him. 
you have to make a decision whether you're going to keep Zion at the four, keep him at the five. You have a guy like Brandon in your blank. Something just has to be made here, and I don't know where they're going. I want to believe that Zion's going to be healthy, but I'm terrified. I'm terrified of big men who have chronic lower body injuries like he has. It reminds me way too much of Greg Oden. You look back at guys like Bill Walton, even going all the way back, like big guys who don't take care of their body. He came in over 320 pounds in the offseason was the rumor. That is, he, he is not prioritizing his body in any way, shape, or form athletically and coming in in shape. That's atrocious. His playing weight has been always said to be around 270, and he's 60 pounds off that coming into the offseason. I don't know if it's a work ethic thing. I don't know if it's a rehab thing. I have no idea. But New Orleans is just sitting here waiting for this, like, prodigal son to, to walk out and like save them and save their season and, and lead them into the playoffs. But that's like worst case scenario. You don't want to be in the play-in and, like I said, just get washed by the top two teams in the West. It doesn't make sense. Like Let Zion just sit the rest of the year. Let him just vibe out, rest his body, and figure out what he is. Because you need a healthy Zion for this franchise to be turned around. As much as Brandon Ingram can do, he's not leading this team to a three-seed or a four-seed. He's barely leading this team to 10 games under 500. This team has a lot of holes, and hoping to get a top-three pick would fix all that. Just like when they got the number one overall pick and they were able to trade Anthony Davis and make all that happen. That made it all worth it. Everything made sense. You were able to do all that. But without that and without that kind of talent, if you get an eighth or nine pick, like, you're in the same territory of like the Jackson Hayes of the world, and New Orleans has not proved that they can draft young talent and develop it. They, they just can't. They get lucky when they get the number one overall pick. You don't need skill to draft a guy like Anthony Davis. You don't need skill to draft a guy like Zion Williamson. Like They're not hitting on these big picks because they, they just aren't in an ability to do it. They've proven that when they draft a guy like Jackson Hayes, it just doesn't work out. I'm really glad that Herb Jones is working out as a second-round pick. He's bringing tremendous defense. He's not really playing too much on offense. Like I hope that he can grow into a 3-and-D role, but again, you're banking on this guy who was drafted 39th overall to step in and, and be that 3-and-D guy like your 17th overall pick, Trey Murphy, was supposed to be. He's played four straight games as DNPs on the bench and not even remotely seeing the floor. Like That's what I'm talking about. You see guys that are in the first round not stiffing the floor, and then you have second-round picks that are outplaying them. Like it, It's a double entendre. You have guys that are, oh, well, that's great. You've got a second-round steal, but your first-round pick is shit in the bed. Like, figure it out, New Orleans. And I really want them to do well because I think Zion is so good for the game of basketball when he's healthy. I would love to see Zion play in New York and just team up with R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish and just bring that city to life because, holy fuck, would that be so fun to watch. But sitting here in New Orleans, if we're going to sit here and say, okay, What's the game plan? The game plan is just getting Zion healthy. Because if you don't have Zion healthy, everything is just wrong. Nothing's going to work, and you're going to sit here and crumble. The whole city's going to crumble, and everything's going to just eat itself alive. New Orleans needs a dedicated Zion Williamson to show up to practice every single day and get his body in shape. And currently, I think you throw the season, blow it up, and say, okay, prioritize Brandon Ingram, trade Jonas Valanciunas at the deadline, and prioritize Jackson Hayes. Prioritize Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, these young guys that are going to be part of your future around Zion and getting them the playing time, giving Devontae Graham a little bit more freedom. If you're going to pay him for a four-year contract, see what the hell you have in him. I love Josh Hart. I think Josh Hart is the perfect role player for 
any team. He can shoot. He can rebound. He can play defense. He does everything that you ask of him and more on a very team-friendly deal. Sign for another three years. Like Those are the guys you need, but you have to see what you have in those young guys. When you're 10 games under 500, decisions have to be made. Trades have to be made. And prioritizing health of your superstar in Zion, do it. Bench him. Do what they did with Joel Embiid back in the day. He sat him for three straight seasons. He only played 28 games when he was eligible for rookie of the year. He averaged 25 and 12. Just relax. The season's over. Punt it into the sun and start again next year. The Oklahoma City Thunder are trusting the process more than life itself. Sam Presti is taking a full book out of Sam Hankey's game plan and saying, okay, give me every single first-round pick you have, and we are going to try and lose every game possible. The Oklahoma City Thunder have 17 first-round picks over the next 10 years, which is almost nine more than any other team. It's absolutely absurd with the amount of first-round picks this team is trying to acquire, and they're doing a tremendous job at it. They have traded superstars like Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony. They're doing whatever they can. They're taking on all these bad contracts like Kemba Walker, Al Horford, Derek Favors, doing whatever they can to take and get everything. The only problem is they're not hitting on these draft picks. They're acquiring everything they can. They're doing everything they can, but, well... The only really good draft that they have to show for it is Josh Giddy, and that was this past year. You know, you look at Lou Dort's Lou Dort, great three and D guy, six foot four, extremely athletic. Actually, has the second highest active streak in games played with, with a made three pointer behind Seth Curry, which is kind of cool. But he was an undrafted free agent. Like, you didn't draft him. You just you got lucky. SGA, you got in a trade for Paul George. You know, Alex Pokushevsky, yeah, you drafted him. He's a complete project, and he's seven foot 190 and really has not made any positive impact on the game of basketball besides a couple of flashy passes. You know, Kenrich Williams was a cool steal in the late second round. He's reliable bench duty, but like he's not going to move the needle. Isaiah Roby's kind of cool. You know, Jeremy Earl Robinson's kind of cool. But, like, these are just bottom-of-the-barrel role-player guys. You, They haven't drafted any stars. And as of right now, if they win two more games with two games in hand, they're going to put themselves at an eighth overall pick projected. That's not where, if you're supposed to tank and you're supposed to be a bottom of the barrel team with the pure roster of G leaguers that they're throwing out there besides SGA and Josh Giddy, they're no, like you have to fully embrace the process, like channel your inner 2014, you know, 15 Philadelphia 76ers and just blow it the fuck up. Get Derek Favors the hell out of there. Throw Alex Pokushevsky out there for 35 minutes a game and just see what happens. That's what the Oklahoma City Thunder need to be doing. They need to throw it against a wall and hope something sticks. If you're going to truly believe in SGA, which I really don't think they do, there were so many rumors throughout the NBA draft that the Oklahoma City Thunder were looking to package some picks as well as SGA in order to move up for any of the one, two, or three first-round picks in this year's draft. They loved Jalen Green, they loved Cade Cunningham, and they loved Evan Mobley. They wanted one of those three guys so bad, they were willing to package their quote-unquote superstar in order to move up in that draft. And all three teams said no, because that's how intense this draft was. Do they truly believe in a player like SGA, or are they just believing in him because they have no choice to? They signed him to this five-year, $172 million extension. That's great. I think he's a tremendous player, and they really need to build around him because when they finally get talent around him, 
he's going to be great. He's a pure empty stats guy right now because he has no choice to because he's their only offense. This team got absolutely waxed by the Memphis Grizzlies for an NBA record loss by 75 points this year. Yet they've also had two 25-point comebacks against the Los Angeles Lakers. This team just has no idea what the fuck they're doing. They're winning games they're not supposed to, but they're losing games and getting absolutely blown out. They need to lose every game physically possible and get the best chance for a top number one overall pick. You're looking at another stacked draft class. You're looking at guys like Chet Holmgren, Paolo Banchero, Jabari Smith, Jordan Ivey. This draft class is stacked again. And those top three picks, the first three I just mentioned, Paolo Banchero, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith. Like if you get one of those three and pair them with SGA and Josh Giddy, and we throw Lou Dords out there, that's sure. But those first two have potential star potential. Josh Giddy has great playmaking, has an incredible eye for the ball. He's only 19. He's one of the youngest players in the draft right in front of Josh Primo from the Spurs. Like Josh Giddy has a lot of potential and great size. He's six foot eight, playing as like this de facto point guard. And once he gets a little bit more into his body, he's only shooting 30% from the floor. Like, let him learn, let him grow. And you throw him out there with a guy like Chet Holmgren or Paolo Banchero, one of those true big men that you can run a great pick and roll with, and, and you're not worried about Mike Muscala or Isaiah Roby taking minutes from him. Let it roll, let it rock. And I think that's the direction this team needs to go in. They need to fully commit to a rebuild. Right now, they're they're winning way too many games in order to be one of those shitty teams, be one of those worst teams. They owe it for this whole process they're doing, for all these first-round picks. And if you're not going to do that, package them and move up and get that first overall pick. If you have all these first-round picks from the Rockets and all these first overall picks from the Clippers, pack them together and go get that top pick. Go get it, whether it's number one, number two, or number three. Don't take no for an answer. Figure out what that price is. Every team has a price and figure it out because that's going to move the needle. Not these guys in the sixth, seventh, and eighth overall pick. You need that number one or number two. Go make it happen. You have assets to do it. You have players you can build around like SGA and Josh Giddy. You get that third young guy in there, Oklahoma City goes from a rebuild to a retool, and all of a sudden this is a playoff team in the next one or two years. And that about wraps it up for NBA Purgatory. Hopefully these teams take a little bit of my advice and try and figure out how to get themselves out of their rudderless situation and get themselves the direction. As you know, you can always check us out on Courtside Views at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, as well as on Spotify. Don't forget to give us five-star reviews if you guys are enjoying the podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic, and we'll check you guys out next time.